Welcome to The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. For this episode, I'm sharing a recent interview I conducted with Oscar-nominated actress Amy Ryan, who co-stars opposite Michael Keaton and Stanley Tucci in the new Netflix film Worth. Worth tells the story of Ken Feinberg, played by Michael Keaton, who is tasked with leading the group that would come up with the method of distribution of funds for families of the victims of 9-11. It's a hard-hitting film that shows the length someone will go to to try to answer the question about how much a human life is actually worth. As you probably know, Amy Ryan's one of the best actors working today, period. She has proven it over the course of her long career, appearing in projects such as Gone Baby Gone, which earned her an Oscar nomination, The Wire, Birdman, and Bridge of Spies. And her latest film, Worth, sees Ryan turn in another awards-caliber performance opposite co-stars Michael Keaton and Stanley Tucci. In the interview, we talk about Worth and the upcoming 20th anniversary of 9-11. In addition, we lighten the mood a bit, talk about The Office and the odds of that series ever returning. And then we wrap up by talking about our mysterious new film, Disappointment Boulevard, which is directed by hereditary filmmaker Ari Aster and stars Joaquin Phoenix. But before I get to the interview, i got to tell you the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Be Real, The Fourth Wall, Deep Focus, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find your favorite shows. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get to the interview where I speak to actress Amy Ryan, one of the stars of Worth, which arrives on Netflix on September 3rd. Enjoy. So we're, we're talking about Worth, and it goes without saying that Worth covers some incredibly heartbreaking and tragic subject matter, as it talks about the struggles of families and loved ones of 9-11 victims. So what was it about this film in particular that drew you to it? Well, a bunch of things, um, or a few things rather. Um, in terms of the script, I, and also just my own experience being in New York on that day, uh, I was... I was struck then, and it was kind of amazing then to read about it, you know, 19 years later when I got the script, that there were a group of people who, not only, you know, obviously the first responders, but the people who were moving into action right away. I kind of meandered the neighborhood, not knowing how to help, what to do, <laughs> tried to donate blood, there's no blood to give, you know, or they're not, it's not needed. And 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 here, here were these, um, this group with um, Ken Feinberg and Camille Byros, who were looking to provide some sort of way forward for the uh, victims' families um, and figuring it out. Um, so I was struck by that. And also just, and then how do you go to work um, while you are the sponge? You're, you have to absorb everyone's anger and grief and outrage and and such and how do you you know when I when I do anger grief and rage in my job it's fake you know yeah this is their job this is they they sit down with every single claimant and hear their story um so it's not as dry as a spreadsheet you know um uh figuring out what people are worth you know uh the the film starts out with kind of this this story from a woman just speaking to camera about you know uh, somebody that she lost and, and it kind of sets the mood for the whole thing. And, and you realize that this is just a film where it's going to be all about kind of the victims telling their story. And like you said, that's a, a tough thing to listen to. So was there anything that kind of like stuck with you after you're walking away from this project where it just, to this day, you kind of are like changed? Oh, you know, again, I mean, changed something that, something that was, I was reminded of 
And um, it was insight that Ken Feinberg had when we were at Sundance. He said, you know, this was a time in America's history that we may not see again when we really were united. And red states helped blue states and blue states helped red states. I mean, I was so struck by New York that time of seeing all the different license plates on first responding vehicles, ambulance, fire trucks, and just so grateful of communities coming together. Um, and it you know, wasn't about the politics at that moment. Um, I hope we go back to that at some point. It doesn't feel like it is in this moment. So in that case, you know, worth the movie Worth is not just, you know, a museum piece of what happened on that day. You know, uh, it is it is a reminder of something we lost, not only obviously, you know, the lives of our fellow Americans, but like when when we were able to really put grievances aside and come together. So uh, that that really stuck with me. And then, you know, the stories, one is as unique as the next. And, you know, again, that there were, you know, the individuality of um, the stories. And, and even, you know, Sarah, our director, focuses so beautifully. I don't think she hits the audience over the head with it. I don't think she gives them more than they can stand you know or or uh, but um but it's just a reminder again that these were real people with real families real hopes and dreams and not just like one <laughs> herd of sheep that went you know but it's obviously a trick it's a you know it's a moving film it's a hard film but there I feel like in some ways um you know we have to face it we have to be reminded of this you you mentioned uh, Ken Feinberg talking at Sundance, and um, you mentioned you know just these the the story basically as we as we kind of laid out here is uh, Ken Feinberg led this group in speaking with the victims' families about how to compensate them for lack mm-hmm. of a better word, and yeah. and and it, and it included kind of these de facto therapy sessions where these people are pouring their hearts out and. It reminded me of my wife, who is a mental health therapist, and she deals with mm-hmm. this every day. And yeah. and I I personally I I couldn't do it myself. And so I was wondering if you got a chance to speak with Camille about that kind of situation and 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 her, uh, you know, uh, what was this like three years it took or two years yeah. to to get this going? And and did that help at all? If you did get to speak with her? Yeah, I mean, you know. Uh, which you may be familiar, you know, the whole compensation fund was built on the tort system. So it really was based on projected earnings, what that person would have made in their lifetime. So, you know, that's, that's the graph, you know, that's, that's the math that's done. So, but they also had the challenge that they had to have at least 80% of people sign on to it. Otherwise they couldn't do this fund. It wouldn't work. Um, people would go out and join their own lawsuit, might be 10 plus years held up in court and not walk away with as much money as this compensation fund would have given them. So I did ask Camille, they were both on set and were very gracious. <laughs> um, uh, I just simply asked her, I said, did you, how were you able to sit in the room with the people? Like, are you, did you choke up? You know, <laughs> would you cry? Would you? She said, always a professional mask. Yeah. She was able to maintain that. And then she added, she's like, but I didn't sleep well at night. (laughs) 
you know, yeah. and you see it the same, like there's, you know, in the movie where you see Michael Keaton's characters puts his headphones on and listens to opera, you know, they, they had their forms of coping and a lot of it had to do with they're both surrounded by a great family and, um, you know, are able to, you know, hold on to their professional masks and somehow get it out <laughs> at home, leaving, you know. And this is also what they do. I mean, now they're taking on, you know, they're working on the, the Catholic Church abuse scandal there. So there's, there's, um, it's a lot of grief in the world. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there is. Um, and, and this one, you've been in a lot of movies that dealt with uh, real subject matter, but this is something I, I think kind of a little different because even though 20 years ago seems like a long time for a lot of people, if you were yeah. a certain age during 9-11, it's fresh in your memory. Like there's just no way yeah. around that. So is the fact that you're tackling a film that has subject matter that's still so fresh changed the way you prepared for it to make it easier or difficult? Or? You know, I, <laughs> I just kind of, I didn't rewatch any news coverage footage. I, I, did, I, I didn't feel I needed to do that. Um, I kind of just stuck to the story of Camille, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and the challenge that she had at hand. But I do remember kind of unexpectedly one scene where I happened to look down at the props and the set dressing and it was a newspaper uh, of the day with pictures and I started looking through it and I said oh my god I can't I can't I can't do this <laughs> right um that was kind of a shock because you know I always do that on sets I always play with props and look and oh we're, oh look at this look at I found this antique this and that old newspaper clipping that and then but that went down such an emotional impact on me you know like the day came, came flooding back all over again but um so that I put it back down. <laughs> you know, I, I, I felt like I didn't need to really use my imagination when it came to uh, the, the story um, of 9-11. Yeah. And, and, and what's interesting, you mentioned this earlier, but the director, uh, Sarah Colangelo, she, she doesn't hit you over the head with that imagery that if you, like I said, if you're an adult, especially at that time, we saw for hours, there's a scene where uh, Michael Keaton's character is, is just sitting watching TV until it's dark. And I distinctly, mm -hmm. I, I related to that. I was like, everybody in the world, or at least in the U.S., I should say, was definitely mm -hmm. doing that. So yeah, yeah. And when I when I couldn't cope with that anymore, I would put on like like the silliest, you know, game shows, or you know, I yeah. I, I tried to find, you know, the the largest right turn in TV, you know. But um, you know if. Soon after 9-11, I remember getting like an independent script here or there or some story and the backdrop was 9-11. And I was so angry. I was like, no. And I refused any script to even audition or, you know, if it was an offer, I wouldn't do it because I felt those writers, those stories didn't earn the emotional impact of their script, that they were using this very fresh current emotion that's still in the air very palpable, the real story of 9-11. And I thought it just felt perverted. And when Sarah, you know, when this script came along, I, and I met Sarah, I was like, well, <laughs> this one I can get behind. You know, I, I just felt like it was not abusive and it's not perverted with the imagery used. And, and I felt like it was honoring the victims and their families. Um, 
So it, this is the first script that felt very different to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, personally, I, I, I was like you. I mean, except I wasn't acting in these movies or offered them. I was trying to avoid watching them at that time, too. Yeah. It, was, it felt like you said, it felt a little gross. But um, yeah. this speaking, you know, wrapping the up about the 9-11 stuff, this is the 20th anniversary is coming up. And mm. this is a film that debuted way, what, 2020 Sundance? So quite a while ago. And if not for the pandemic, it probably would have, you know, been distributed last year, but now it kind of feels extra timely. So even though you're, you're happy to see a film get distributed, no matter when, is there, is it, does it feel like this is kind of the universe giving you guys a sign that you guys are coming out at this time? Well, yeah, I'm not really, I can't really speak to the, you know, the marketing (laughs) of the film. Obviously people have thought well you know hard about it but obviously that is a big anniversary and if if the distributors and producers um you know um higher ground (laughs) has come on board then it does feel like maybe maybe it's a bigger story maybe even if it helps 10 people you know come to terms with the day um you know then we've done our job (laughs) And, and and what's interesting is you mentioned higher ground kind of passively, but that is the Obamas, um, yeah. which adds a, a little bit of gravitas to a movie that was already just kind of chock full of gravitas. So that's pretty great. Yeah, well, that's it's a big honor. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. So um, we, we were talking about right turn media, basically, you know, talking about 9-11. Let's take a right turn and let's talk about the greatest TV show of all time, The Office. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of people, especially listening to this, will know you from your film work, you know, Oscar nominated actress in film, but I know you as Holly Flax. Um, And so I want, I'm curious, is this, is since the office has had this like massive resurgence over the last few years, is this Mm -hmm. the role that, that you get stopped at the most, or are there other things bigger than Holly Flax that, that people like stop you in the streets for? Um, I would say since like, uh, people started binging on the, when the office was on it, no, I was probably stopped equally for the wire. <laughs> Another great show. And, um, but then when the, the office took off, I guess it was Netflix and they, um, became their number one show. And, and, and then I was hearing about younger kids, teenagers who would watch it repeatedly almost as a comfort you know um a friend a friend middle-aged men too i gotta interrupt uh, we, we we tend to watch the office religiously yeah, as well yeah and you know it, it's my, my my daughter's 11 and she's watched it three times wow you know she um so i think the appeal is first of all it's, it's still really funny i think the jokes still hold up and so it's finding a new audience uh over and over and over and um and probably the appeal now is seeing people interact yeah, that's <laughs> <in> true <an> <laughs> like, what's that about so um but uh yeah yeah i get a lot of holly flax love out there in the world <laughs> that's great and 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 what's funny about that is you mentioned the wire you mentioned or we've, we've talked about worth and and you if you look at your imdb it's just full of these incredibly prestigious roles and and serious stuff for the most part and then holly flax is such a goofball that it's it, it had to be a lot of fun filming that, especially with Steve Carell, who you've worked with oh, a few times. Fun. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. You know, my, my, my parents were always surprised. Like at my career, they said, oh, I always thought you'd be in comedy because I was that as a kid in the household growing up. 
and it just so happened drama is what I was cast in and, and it took me and then the next, you know, when you do one thing, then they look to, for you to do that again and again and again. And it's the actor's job and the agent's job to like really push against that and try to say, no, well, what about this? <laughs> right. What about this type of part? And what about this type of, you know, comedy? And so it took me a long while to get the confidence back to approach comedy but but the office was just so well written you could coast I felt, not coast but you could really rely on the writing and then of course that cast was stellar um led by the amazing Steve Carell so um in short I had such a belly laugh working on that show and it was also an epiphany it's like oh you can go to work and be happy <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to carry all this heavy heavy stuff around yeah <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not one who generally takes work home with, I don't, you know, don't take my work home. Um, I imagine like your wife is able to do, like she's yeah. able to leave that at the office, which is the key to being, staying healthy. But, um, but, you know, the heavy dramas are hard. They're hard to go yeah. to those dark places. But, but I do enjoy being, you know, the representative for an audience maybe they don't want to go there so I was like all right I'll, I'll I'll show you what this world could look like maybe it'll help you that's great yeah so uh just one last question about the office a lot of people you know revivals are the hot button issue and and I know you don't you're not tapped in maybe to the uh decision makers but if if that ever came up and you were offered a chance to revisit Holly Flax and work opposite Steve again would you uh jump at that chance or is that in the past I I I think it's unlikely because that amazingly talented cast, like how are you ever going to get them all on the same free schedule? Yeah. <laughs> doing other projects. And, and uh, I would love to do anything with Steve Carell. So I wouldn't limit myself to um, just Holly and Michael reuniting. I would, you know, there's so, you know, he's, he's, he has such depth as an actor as we've seen over and over in, you know, um, we, we met briefly in Beautiful Boy, uh, which probably confused people. They're like, oh, they're back. Wait, what? My <laughs> wife and I were watching that in theaters, and I turned to her and I said, this is not the Holly Flax, Michael Scott reunion I was thinking it was yeah. going to be. Yeah, we, I remember one scene where the characters finally hug each other, and, you know, we were like, no, that's they wouldn't hug each other like that. That's Michael and Holly who like each other. These, <laughs> these people are a bit more, you know, curt and cordial. <laughs> So, but uh, yeah, I, th I think Steve's a phenomenal actor. Good Great. Luck. Yeah. So uh, I got to wrap up. I got one more question about a project uh, that you probably can't talk too much about, but we're really excited about, and that's uh, Disappointment Boulevard. Oh, I just got back from Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Um, so is there anything you can tease about that or, or, or maybe just tell us what, what brought you onto that project? Oh my God. You know, that I, there, I get, these no-brainer choices along the way and it's this is one of them like you know Joaquin Phoenix he's on my bucket list of people like act with. I couldn't believe it and Ari Aster I mean, he, he's so talented oh my god he's so young and uh and deeply kind um so it, it's magical it's weird and it's funny and it's scary and it's dark and I can't tell you anything else about it <laughs> but it was a joy it was such a joy to work on yeah and and you mentioned funny scary 
dark. And then you're like, it's Ari Aster. Of course it is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> only he, and in, in, this is his third movie. Only in three movies can you have such a, a distinct tone. Yeah. Tone and the way, he, the way it's shot and how he speaks to his actors. And he's got it all down in his head. And he's so um, capable of, of sharing what's in his head. <laughs> he's got these incredible crew and production designers and uh and I know all the actors just adore working with him he makes it so much easier that's that's high praise from somebody who's worked with you know Sidney Lumet and and all these uh all these great filmmakers Um, Mark I mean you know others have said it but like Ari's no joke (laughs) he is he's around he's a real artist he's a real filmmaker that's great. So I got to wrap up, but thank you, uh, Amy Ryan, for joining me and, and talking yeah. about all these these projects. And and yeah. Worth is coming out soon on Netflix. So, you know, yeah. 200 million people around the world have Netflix. So you guys should watch it. Gosh. Hey, Charles, I wish you the best with your baby. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Have a good one. Okay, take care. Uh,